What a story, right? What a story of reconciliation. What we're talking about today, you, you couldn't get a, a more powerful picture than Tom and Lisha's story. And I just want to say I'm really grateful to them for having the courage and the vulnerability to share where they've been in their marriage and where they are now with all of us. And so if you see them, they're part of our community, feel free to thank them for what they've shared. But I just ask that you would just respect the fact that they're not necessarily signing up to interact with every other person who's in that similar situation. So just kind of respect that boundary. But it's just incredible what God can do when we have hearts for reconciliation and how his power of reconciliation shows up in this community. And that's what we're talking about today. Um, this is a part of the series, actually week two, in our series called Roadmap for a Revolution. And in this series, we're looking throughout the book of Acts. Acts is one of the uh, historical books in the Bible and actually tells the history of the early church, kind of what happened in those first years after Jesus left and he had established this community of Christ followers. What happened in that situation? And we see in Acts all kinds of principles being elevated that were just significant to the revolution that was happening back then, and they're significant to us now. And actually, as a part of this, every week, if you got a program when you came in, in your program, if you want to take that out right now, look on that back flap, kind of there's a place that says notes. On the other side of that, you'll see something called an on-ramp. And what we're doing as we kind of take this road trip, we want you to get an opportunity to read ahead for what we're going to talk about. So next week, we're going to be talking about the theme of a call. And there's kind of some scriptures from the book of Acts there that you can read and some questions that you can use to engage and interact in this series, trying to get you to take a dive into the Bible. And that way, when we come, we're all kind of starting at the place of understanding the story. But that's what we're talking about. And today, as we think about reconciliation, what I want you to think about is actually the picture of when you reconcile your checkbook. When you reconcile your checkbook, hopefully, what you want at the end of that process is nothing outstanding, right? Right? You don't want anything on either side of the ledger that hasn't been accounted for. You don't want anything outstanding. And the same is true when we think of reconciliation in the context of relationships. The purpose of reconciliation, the heart behind reconciliation, is that there be nothing outstanding in our relationships. And that's what God wants us to kind of strive for. And I want to say kind of how reconciliation is a bit different from forgiveness. Forgiveness actually has to come before there can ever be reconciliation in a situation. But what I would say is forgiveness is one of the actions that results from having this value of running toward reconciliation. And I would also say reconciliation is the vision or the goal of any time there's a forgiveness situation. The goal with forgiveness is that ultimately that relationship could be made whole again, that there would be nothing outstanding. And can I also just admit that this is hard? This, this reconciliation thing is very, very hard. If you've been wronged by someone, if right now you're in the situation where there's a little bit of distance or a rift in a relationship and there's a need for reconciliation, you know just how difficult this can be. But yet, as we look today, we're going to see that there is something about this reconciliation thing that is key to our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And the story we're using as an on-ramp to kind of get into this represents this revolutionary shift in the direction of that early church, the early Christ followers in the book of Acts. I would say up to this point in the story... People who were Jewish by descent were really the only people who were interacting with Jesus and the people that were primarily receiving Jesus at that time. And there was even a belief among some of those that, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. This thing that Jesus did, this thing of reconciling people to God, it was for the Jewish nation. And so for people who aren't Jewish, they have to kind of come in through the Jewish nation way or else this isn't for them. But what we're going to see today is this revolutionary shift where God says, no, 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 no. My context for reconciliation knows no boundaries. 
And he does that by interacting with two guys, one named Cornelius and one named Peter. And this, book, this uh, story shows up in Acts chapter 10. And what I'm going to do, ask you to hang with me, because up front here I'm going to be doing a lot of reading from the Bible to kind of capture this story and ground us in this story. And then we'll talk about what that means in terms of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people kind of after that. But just to give you a little bit of background, at this time Rome was occupying Israel. And so Rome represented oppression. They represented everything that the Jewish people did not want. And there were even laws and dietary restrictions that forbade Jewish people from interacting and particularly eating meals with people who were Roman or anybody who wasn't Jewish. And it's in this context that these things are taking place. And so it starts in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, where we're introduced to this guy, Cornelius. And this is what it says about him. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius a centurion, a leader in the Roman army, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Let me just interact with this for a little bit. First of all, am I the only one that when I read an angel appeared in the Bible, I get a picture of Della Reese? Am I, am I the only person? <laughs> so, so first you got this crazy thing of this guy interacting with an angel, you know? And I love the fact that the angel is in his vision, but the angel actually calls him by name. As if when you see an angel, maybe they're there for someone else, right? Like, you know, oh, well, I, I just want to make sure you know I'm here for you. And, and how, do you, how do you entertain an angel? Like, if you're visited by an angel, I've not had that experience. Maybe some of you have. How do you entertain an angel? Like, do you say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Angel, would you like some food? Oh, yeah, you're a spirit. I guess you really don't eat. Okay, well, it's a long trip from heaven to earth. Hey, would you, do you need to use the bathroom? Oh, I, I, guess, I guess you don't, so... Saturday really found that super funny. You guys aren't laughing at all at that. I don't know. I mean, see, that's why they're my favorite service. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Um, but, but Cornelius has this incredible, can we just say, that's a miraculous thing. Like vision of an angel saying, hey, you need to go and you need to interact with this guy named Peter. And so while Cornelius is being prepared for Peter's visit, even though that would not happen, these two would not have interacted in the culture, later on in the story we see that Peter is also getting his own kind of preparation for this reconciling act that God is doing. Let's pick up the story in verse 11 where it says about Peter, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Okay, so we've got this vision of an angel. Now we have Peter having this other crazy, crazy vision. What does this mean, this you know, net being let down and these animals? Well, those animals represented... Some animals that would have been clean, according to Jewish dietary laws, but also some other animals that would have been unclean, animals that Peter had never eaten. Not only had he never eaten those animals, but he had never even entered into the home of people who would eat those animals. So there was this clear distinction and separation, but yet Peter's being challenged to expand his view of God's reconciliation. And actually it says the voice was the Lord's, and the Lord is saying to Peter, no, 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 no. I don't want you to live by these restrictions of what you think my reconciliation is about. I want to expand your view 
and help you understand that my reconciliation, the reason that Jesus came, is not just for a particular group of people, it's for everybody. And so Peter is prepared for what ultimately happens in the story. He winds up going to Cornelius' home. And he winds up interacting with this guy in his house, sharing meals with him, something that he would have never done before. And in the midst of that, Peter talks to Cornelius and his family about Jesus. And in talking to them about Jesus, this crazy thing happens, kind of connected to our last series, where they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, not a Jew, and his family are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they begin to speak in languages that they had never learned before. The Bible calls that speaking in tongues. This crazy thing happens, and Peter, being a good leader, he was the leader of the church at that time, he kind of recognizes, okay, God, you're really trying to make a point to me. I I get it. I get it. And we kind of get the moral of this story when in verse 34 and 35, Peter says this. It says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. I now realize, Peter says, that God's vision or God's view of reconciliation knows no boundaries. And the main point, the main thing today, the thing that I want us to kind of sit in is the fact that God runs toward reconciliation. God runs toward reconciliation. That's what the whole story of the Bible is about. This is captured really well in another part of the Bible, a letter that was written to some of those early Christ followers. And I want to read this. Colossians says this. Colossians 1 verse 21 says, Once you, and that would mean all of us, were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. What this verse is saying is, apart from a relationship with God, and we can only have that through Jesus, this is our state. This is our state. Reconciliation is about pursuing the very people who've wronged you. And according to this verse, we've wronged God. How have we wronged God? It says we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Evil behavior is another word for sin, another word for any choice we make that is inconsistent with God's desire, God's plan, and God's nature. And what this verse is saying is we're all guilty. We're all guilty. All of us are alienated from God. And here's the thing. The only way that we can be restored in relationship is that the offended party, God, has to pursue reconciliation with us. And in verse 22, let's look at what God does. It says, but now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, set apart, clean, without blemish, not dirty, not guilty, and free from accusation. This is the picture of God's reconciliation that we see throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, I would say in these two verses, these two verses pretty much sum up the Bible. There's other places where this happens, but these two verses pretty much, if you don't know anything else about the Bible and you want to kind of say, what's the big picture? These two verses right here, this is the big picture. You might hear us talk about this word gospel around here, and that word gospel simply means good news. And friends, this is the good news. The good news is that God runs toward reconciliation, and he runs toward people who could not deserve his reconciliation any less. He runs toward people like me who through my choices and through my actions make choices that are against his plan. I'm alienated from God, but through Jesus, he ran toward me for reconciliation. He ran toward me. He runs toward us. And friends, that's the good news. That's the whole essence of the story that God is telling in the Bible. And a couple weekends ago, we got to experience and be a part in a community of people who were receiving for the first time that reconciliation or publicly declaring it for the first time through baptism. And baptism is this thing that has been a part of the church for centuries where people go underwater 
And when they go under that water, it's identifying with the death, that death that Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to God. But then they come up out of the water. And when they come up out of the water, it's recognizing that there is a resurrection that took place, that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but three days later he rose to new life. And because he rose to new life, we can be reconciled to God. And so I'm going to invite our volunteers to come forward at this time. We're going to take up an offering. And if you're here for the first time, I want you to know that we're just excited that you're here to maybe get for the first time a picture of God's heart for you, his heart for reconciliation. They're going to come with some discs, and I just encourage you, if you don't want to give, that's cool. You can just let that disc pass you right on by. We're just glad you're here with us. But as we take up the offering, we're going to get a picture and kind of relive some of the moments that we experienced as a community during that baptism uh, service where people received the reconciliation of God. Let's take a look at this. And uh, I was here this morning, actually, first service, really scared, nervous, and uh, so I, I just kind of bailed out, and I was like, I'm just going to go home before the second service starts. <laughs> and it didn't work out for you, huh? No, so I, I got to my car, and uh, it wouldn't start, so... Uh, <laughs> baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your eyes, this empty world. We are all a reset group, and we all um, came together through that. Well, how'd you find each other? On the reset group page on Crossroads. Most people are from Turpin, but I'm from Sycamore, and we Every uh, Thursday night we did reset together, and ever since then we've been like the closest of friends. Jesus, all I have is you. You're the hope I'm holding to. I might weep, but still my I've done all the other things that I thought that would bring me closer to God. I've I've been praying daily. I've been reading the Bible, um, and I've been in community, and those things have just brought tremendous fulfillment to my life, my relationship with God, but I had never done this. And I've really been running into some roadblocks lately, and I realized those things were rooted in sin, and I needed to wash that away. I've gone through a lot and even though I feel like so much has been taken from me, God has always been there to put so much more into it and it's about time that I finally just pay homage to God and tell him thank you and I want him there for the rest of my life.
Holy Spirit. Jesus. He always gonna win, <laughs> you know. Just can't keep fighting, you know. Sometimes just got to give up and say, "Come on, it's my life." <laughs> Every time I see that video, I think the wind shifts in this room, and um, <laughs> oh man, I I love what. What the, what the guy at the end said, God always wins. God, God always wins. You know why God always wins? Because he always runs toward reconciliation. He does not stop. He is relentless. He is relentless in his pursuit of reconciling toward us. He is relentless. He's relentless. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how distant you think you are from God. I don't care how alienated you think you are, how bad you think your choices are. God's posture toward you is that he runs. He runs toward reconciling toward you. He runs toward you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to receive his reconciliation in Jesus. And the question that I have is if that's God's posture toward us, then what should our posture be toward people who wrong us? What should our posture be toward people who, who we need to forgive? We find an answer in the book of Corinthians in the Bible, 2 Corinthians, in verse 16, where it says this. It says, so from now on, because we've received this kind of reconciliation, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled, there's that word again, reconciled us to himself through Christ. And listen to this, and gave us the ministry the ministry of reconciliation. You, if you have received God's reconciliation through Jesus, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That word ministry means there is a specific charge and mission that you've been given. And I believe that that charge and that, that mission is to have the same posture that God has when people wrong us. How do we respond when people wrong us? We run toward reconciliation. What other response even makes sense in light of what God has done for us other than to have this posture to run toward reconciliation? See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Tom and Alicia's story is so powerful. It has an impact on all of us because in that story, we see two people who are running toward reconciliation. 
And can I just kind of say what the elephant in the room is? I think for many people when we watch that video, the elephant in the room is this. Yeah, Chuck, but you know what? If I hear their story correctly, it sounds like one of them was a little bit more at fault than the other. Right? One of them actually went as far as to engage physically and sexually with someone that wasn't their spouse. And here's what the check is for all of us. The one person in this community who had the right to have that point of view ran toward his wife. He ran toward his wife. He said, how can I not offer this to my wife? You can clap at that. You can clap at that. That's what's so incredible about that story. And this is what we need to understand, friends. If, if you're in this community and you've received God's reconciliation and your posture is not to run toward reconciliation in your relationships, can I tell you something? That choice does not just impact you. That choice impacts me and it impacts this entire community. And if I don't have a posture in my life of running toward reconciliation when people wrong me, I am impacting this community. Can I just tell you, God expects the mark of people who've received his reconciliation to be that we are people who run toward reconciliation in our relationships, that we run toward reconciliation in marriages, we run toward reconciliation with our parents, we run toward reconciliation with people we work with who have wronged us. He wants our posture to be the same as his. He wants us to embrace the ministry of reconciliation. That's the challenge and that's the call that we have. And I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. In fact, I bet you there are some people in here from the moment you saw that story of Tom and Lisha and all this stuff that I've been saying, you've been sitting there with a relationship in your mind and you've been trying to explain why that's the exception to this rule. The whole time you've been saying, but Chuck, if you understand this situation, I understand what you're saying and maybe in most cases that's the case, but, but my situation, no, 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 there's no way that I'm supposed to pursue reconciliation here. And here's what I would say. Your inability to at least have a heart to pursue reconciliation, I'm not naive enough to think that that's going to happen in every case, but if your heart is not to pursue reconciliation, can I just tell you that's a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem. That's a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem, and it's a symptom that really came to light for our country with something that happened in 2006. In 2006, maybe you remember seeing pictures of an Amish village in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where a gunman came into a one-room schoolhouse, took hostage, and later killed five little girls. Five little girls got killed in that instance. But when I went back this week and was thinking through what the media had to say about this situation, you would think that these people actually committed the greater crime. And the reason is because instead of them taking the natural view, we need revenge, we want justice, the Amish community took this posture of running toward reconciliation. And they were almost demonized more than the guy who killed five innocent girls. And I came across some quotes this week that I think just draw this contrast for us. One is from a guy who writes for the Boston Globe. He said, to voluntarily forgive those who have hurt you is beautiful and praiseworthy. But to forgive those who have hurt, who have murdered someone else? I cannot see how the world is made a better place by assuring someone who would do terrible things to others that he will be readily forgiven afterwards. Friends, can I just say, that last sentence is the gospel. That last sentence is the good news. The last sentence is exactly what we read. I am that person as it relates to God. I'm the person who repeatedly does things that are against God's plan. And you know what? My life has been completely changed by a God who still runs toward reconciliation. And it isn't just changing me. It's changing how I interact with other people. 
It changed how a man named Martin Luther King approached injustice in this country. It changed how people who called themselves the church in the early first century interacted with Romans who were their oppressors. I will tell you, I think that's the only thing that changes the world. That principle of reconciliation is the only hope for this world. And so when I came across another quote this week, I had to sit on this and kind of say, yes, this is, this is God's heart. Another guy writing about the same thing, the same incident, says the modern media descended in mass into this rural enclave. And what they found and what we heard from that community was not revenge or anger, but a gentle, heart-stricken insistence on forgiveness. Forgiveness, that is, of the shooter himself. The widow of the shooter was actually invited to one of the funerals. And it was said she would be welcome to stay in the community. And this guy goes on to say, in a world gone mad with revenge killings and sectarian violence, chunks of the globe self-immolating with hatred, this was something to behold, this insistence on forgiveness. It was so strange, so elemental, so otherworldly. This was Jesus' way. And they had Jesus in them not for a day, an hour, not just in the good times, but even in the very worst. Even in the very worst, they embraced the ministry of reconciliation. And, and see, here's our struggle with this. I think many of us, if we're honest, if we're just getting real, we identify with the dude from the Boston Globe. If that happened to our family, we'd want justice, we'd want revenge, we'd want someone to pay. That, that would be our natural bent. But here's the, here's the thing, here's what changes that. Here's what I think the Amish community got. You know, we, we often think of them as backwards people. I think they're very progressive when it comes to this thing of reconciliation. Here's why. See, our problem is this. We think that our violation toward God somehow is less significant than a man who goes into a schoolhouse and murders five kids and then kills himself. We want to believe, deep down inside, that God grades this thing on a scale, that there's a curve somewhere, and clearly God doesn't put me in the same category as a man who would murder innocent children. But friends, can I just tell you, the standard is set by a holy, perfect God. And I don't care where you think you land on the scale, you too were alienated from God. And you too have been enemies in your mind toward God because of your sinful choices against God. And yet, he runs toward you for reconciliation. And if we really understand that, if we really get that, how does a response any less than that even make sense? How does it even make sense? Is it revolutionary? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But is it God's heart? Yes. Yes, it is. We were having a conversation this week about this, and someone really put it well. They said, you know, if you want to know where you are in terms of reconciling with someone, here's a great litmus test. Because no one wants to sit down for a meal with someone they're not reconciled with. You really want to know where you are with that relationship? Man, if you can't sit down and have a meal with that person, you are not reconciled. And no one wants to be in that situation. And that's why this weekend we're going to do something that we typically don't do on the weekends. We reserve it for last Wednesday. And that is we're going to, we're going to do communion today. And what is communion? You could think of communion as this reconciliation meal that allows us to remember the fact that God invites us to the table even though we've sinned against him. He invites us to have reconciliation, to break bread with him. And communion is based on something that Jesus did the day before he died, the night before he was going to be crucified. We're in a very intimate setting. He sat down with 12 of his closest friends, including that guy Peter that we talked about a little bit earlier. 
he sat down with them, and it says in the Bible that he took bread. And he broke that bread. And he said to those 12 men, he said, this is the bread of reconciliation. This bread represents my body that will be broken for you tomorrow when I hang on a cross so that you can be reconciled to God. And every time you eat this bread, remember the fact that my body was broken for your reconciliation. And then the story goes on to say that Jesus had a cup of wine. And he said to those same 12 men, this cup represents my blood that will be poured out tomorrow for your reconciliation. And every time you drink this, every time you drink this, let it be a reminder that my blood has been poured out for your reconciliation. And here's the thing. Here's what makes this crazy and revolutionary. Within a matter of hours, all but one of those 12 men were going to desert Jesus. And he knew that. Yet even in knowing that, here he is the night before sowing the seeds of reconciliation, inviting them to the table to break bread and to have a meal with him. Friends, baptism is something that we do one time. The cool thing is communion is something we do over and over and over again. And every time we do it, it's a reminder that I too have been invited to the table and I have this opportunity to be reconciled to God through Jesus. It's a celebration. It is a party. Every time I get to take communion, I'm going to taste the Cincinnati today. Can I just tell you, this is the sweetest meal I'm going to eat today. This is the sweetest meal I'm going to eat today. Because when I eat this, it reminds me that a God that had no need to reconcile to me ran toward reconciliation. And so my encouragement to you guys is as you do this, let this be a reminder of that. And I want to say... Communion, my expectation is not that everyone in here is going to participate in this. In fact, I think there are certain people who should not participate in communion. The Bible's pretty clear that if you haven't received the reconciliation that Jesus offers to you, if you have questions about who Jesus is and you're not sure, the great thing is we want you to be a part of our community. There are going to be some songs that are played that you can be a part of, and we love that you're on the journey and you're willing to seek and ask those questions. But the Bible's pretty clear that when we take this step of actually engaging in communion, it's a statement of our faith that Jesus has been our reconciliation toward God. And so I just say, be a person of integrity. And maybe this isn't for you today. That's totally cool. That's totally cool. Here's how this is going to work. Um, I'm going to invite the folks who are going to be serving communion to come on up and, and come to their stations right now. And the way this is going to work is when you feel like the time is right. You don't even have to get up right away. We're going to sing a couple songs. If you want to sit and kind of think about this for a while, that's, that's totally cool too. Um, but they're going to come up and there's going to be one person that has bread. And when you go to that person, they're going to break off a piece of bread. They're going to hand it to you and they're going to say the body of Christ broken for you. Just, just a reminder of what that means. And at that point, we love the fact that so many people at Crossroads come from a rich Catholic tradition. But hold on to your bread. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Because the next thing you're going to do is you're going to go to another person who's going to have two glasses. And there's kind of a shorter glass that looks like a goblet. That goblet has juice. And then there's a glass that looks more like a wine glass, and that one has wine. And you're going to take your bread, and you'll dip it in whichever of those you'd like. And as you dip it, someone's going to say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Just, again, a reminder of what you're, what you're remembering. And then at that point, once you've dipped your bread in either the juice or the wine, Take communion, head back to your seat, and continue to just be in this moment with us. This is a celebration of a God who runs toward reconciliation with us. 
And I also ask that you let it be a challenge as well, because maybe there are some of you in here who know you need to run toward reconciliation with someone in your life. And I would encourage you to let this be a moment where you declare to God that I received the reconciliation you have for me. And out of that place, I'm going to run toward reconciliation in that situation in my life. I'm going to pray, and after I do that, communion will be available. There are stations also in the back, all across each level of the balcony, so go to the one closest to you. And I encourage you to let this be a time for you to seal with God your thankfulness for his reconciliation. God, I'm asking that as we participate in communion today, that it would be a sweet thing, that it would be a shared thing of us recognizing that you have reconciled to us. And God, I also want to pray um, for the people who will not take communion today. I applaud them being people of integrity. We value that around here. I'm thankful for them. And I pray that in the midst of them experiencing this moment, if there's something you want to say to them specifically, I ask that you would do that. I trust and know that you can as we celebrate communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion is open.